and welcome to episode 68 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Simon, Pale Robbie on the boards. Steven, will you stop playing Skyrim? What? You just jumped back onto Skyrim, dude. When you say stop as if I've been playing it for a while. Yeah, but like we're, we're just getting ready to record. I, I, don't, and I don't know how Steven starts games like right when we start podcasting. I focus on this crap. I know. I can't do anything else. Like I have to. Fo- okay. So anywho, uh, sorry for the lull in podcast recordings. We kind of we, we had a lot of misfires on when we were going to be doing recording. Steven was out of town, but he's back, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, apparently just braving the realm of Skyrim. I'm back, baby. Oh, boy. So, yeah, Steven's back, and then joining us today, we also have Derek. Yep, and I wasn't gone, but I, you can say I'm back, sure. Hello. Yep. Oh, hi. oh, hi, Derek. Good thinking. Oh, hi, Steven. Oh, Steven watched The Room for the first oh, time. No. Uh, the for the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth right. time. Why would exactly. you watch that? Because he wanted to enrich his life, and so now we're now we're at the point where we can just text each other lines from it, and everything's You're fine. You're tearing me apart, Lisa! I did not hit her. Tommy was so rear end ever i, I wish i can't we curse on this podcast i no. know the answer is no but can't we no no let's let's continue to make a family friendly show so oh boy it's been kind of a crazy summer we got a lot of games to talk about right now uh we got whew, uh, shin megami tensei 4 dragon's crown a little bit of tales of cross zillia and i'm well back into skyrim i yeah. hate i hate myself right now um yelling at me for it but you know well, now we'll get we'll get there, and then we got a lot of news, including uh, Bioware seems to say, "Yeah, we've been listening to you guys." Yeah, it was interesting. Um, although we should talk about that later when we do. News. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was just giving a little preview, little preview. It's showmanship, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so you let's use start- that uh, exactly. Let Let's start off with uh, a little conversation about Shin Megami Tensei Four. Uh, this was released. Shin Mega Man Tenshi Four. Go ahead. <laughs> Tenshi Muyo. That's that's what my, that's what Mike wrote in our months in review thing. He was like Shin Megami Tensei. Oh, Let's boy. all be honest. Shin Megami Tensei Four is a great game, but its existence is purely validated by the boss theme. <laughs> like the boss theme, if that doesn't make you want to punch somebody in the skull, you did it wrong and shut up. I actually like all the battle music in the game. Thank you very much. So uh, Stephen has no, really that, pulses. That's acceptable. So this is the fourth entry uh, in the main SMT series. I guess we're not counting Shin Megami Tensei If and stuff like that, and like the one Xbox game that was only released in Japan for some reason. Nine. Yeah, was that it? Nine. Yeah, it's what? called Nine. Yeah, Shin Megami Tensei oh. Nine. I, nine. But yeah, but yeah no, you have to say German. it like a German, like Nine. 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 Shin Megami Tensei. Nine. Uh, so yeah, this was released on the 3DS. Um, it is very much in the main series smt line where it plays a lot more like nocturne a little bit more about atmosphere and less about you know social links and the like uh i think a lot of people have gotten like the popularity with the main with shin megami tensei has come i would say as a result of like persona 3 persona 4 uh nocturne was released in what like 2006 i want to say no it was uh longer ago than that because i graduated high school in 2006 and i had already beaten it by then Oh, God. How old am I right now? All right, hold on a second here. Somebody talk. Somebody talk. Derek, you did the review for us. So I just want to say that before this came out, I was like, I swear to God, somebody's going to call this the Dark Souls of Persona. I'm going to punch (laughs) them in the face so hard over the Internet. And they did. Like, it took a day of, of the release embargo being out, and everybody was like, it's the Dark Souls of Persona because it's hard. Uh, it's like, And it doesn't tell you where to go. Of any other comparison, like, 
I, I'm going to jack Steven's word. That is the most disingenuous way to, to evaluate the game ever. Like, I know you guys like Dark Souls, but I swear, I'm going to go freaking crazy if people describe things as the Dark Souls of blank for more than like another two uh, months. Uh, all right. Oh, I, see, I appreciate that. But I think part of the thing is that relatability is important when you're writing something. So well, I think, rather I think, than saying it's a game that's very focused on survival and it doesn't outright tell you where to go and it's very subtle and it's atmospheric and it's about exploration and mood more than, come on, guys, let's go to the dungeon and save the person who's going to be murdered, which I don't say that in a derogatory way at all. But that's it's a lot easier to just say it's like Dark Souls because a lot of people know what Dark Souls is I like. I think evaluation Dark- by comparison is perfectly legitimate and it's a really good way to help people understand what you're talking about. Like, that's fine. It's just... In Dark Souls' case, it has been overused and beaten to death since Dark Souls came out. Like, I hear people using it to describe things that are nothing like Dark Souls. Like, <laughs> most recently, I heard La Mulana described as the Dark Souls of Metroid. And I was like, well, because it's hard? No, because it... All right, you know what? Because you're going to get mad at me. I don't want you to get mad at me. All right, I, all, right, all right. No. I, no, I don't think it's a, I don't no! think it's a difficulty comparison at all. Uh, like well, then the, what is it? The, like oppressive the, the, atmosphere? Is that is that really all they're trying to say? Atmosphere, the style of progression, the very like, it's it, it's it's a better way to say old school than old school because Dark Souls never says go here and La Mulana never says go here. You just have to. I think it's more apt with La Mulana than it is with Shin Megami because La Mulana, it's like, hey, there was a thing over there that vaguely insinuated that you should go over here on the other side of the universe. Did you pay attention? Yeah, but there were a lot of things that came out before Dark Souls. I mean, like, you know, 20-plus years of video games, and many of them had that same structure. But only now people are using well, Dark Souls as a basis. Well, think, think of it this way. Do we say, oh, this RPG is like Final Fantasy 2, or do we say, oh, this is like Final Fantasy... Well, 10 was the last turn-based one. I, like, I think... I, I, hold, uh, to go back... No, go ahead, sorry. No, just was... to go back a step. First off, uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne was released in Japan in February of 2003. We got it in America October 2004. So there, there was a little piece of information we were missing. To Derek's point, I totally see where Derek's coming from because they, I, I think with a lot of reviews and a lot of message board comments, we all have a tendency to, like Stephen was saying, we generalize, we bring things up in terms of context because we have to explain. And rather than sit here and go, Shin Megami Tensei 4 is a dungeon crawler that is very difficult, focused on atmosphere, focused on some non-linear gameplay and not being told exactly where to go, rather than spell that all out, it's easier for people to just say this is the Dark Souls of Shin Megami Tensei or or the persona, well, Dark now, Souls Persona. But I, I will get on Derek's corner here and say calling it the Dark Souls of Persona is fairly insufferable. Yeah, that's terrible. But Because that's like it's like saying Shadow the Hedgehog is the doom of Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, he was. But, uh, but now... To- I meant like Doom the Shooter... And Sonic the Hedgehog oh, okay. series. But. When, when I was when I talked to Derek about this game, I brought up the Dark Souls comparison simply from the fact that when I'm playing Shin Megami Tensei 4, I have to be in the exact same mindset that I am with Dark Souls, which is, okay, I'm probably going to die. I'm going to get really, really irritated about it because it might be something that I couldn't even deal with. Like, there, there are times in this turn-based... Role uh, in this turn-based role-playing game where you will die without even pressing a button. Like <laughs> the enemies got the spring on you, they got to hit you with the first attack, they hit you with a weakness, and you got wiped out before you even had a chance to attack. Yeah, I can appreciate you saying that it puts you in Dark Souls mode. Like that's a comparison that I think is okay. 
Yeah. But it's just, I mean, we've, we've already... Yeah, let's get away from it. Let's... It's just people that are like, ah, it's Dark Souls and Persona. Like, really? Really? Yeah. It's like, no, it, it's... I, I didn't use that comparison a single time in my review. Let, let's call it the awesome of awesome. Yeah, it's an awesome game. Uh, so the guy who says he's not going to pick it back up. We're yeah, gonna, but then I changed my mind like 15 minutes later. We're going to attack him for that here in a second, Derek. Uh, so it's very much in a, very similar to Nocturne. Uh, that's the only real reference that I have for it, where you you start out in uh, this uh, the oh god, if I hear him say this one more time, if what, I hear samurai? The, no no, if I hear him say the Eastern Kingdom of Mikado instead <laughs> of just saying Mikado, Mikado. I, I was like, do you guys really have to say that it's over? The whole phrase. <laughs> Every time, it's the whole phrase. <laughs> they don't say, we're from Mikado. They say, we are from the Eastern Kingdom of Mikado. Over well, and yeah, over. you don't want to be confused with those lowlifes from the friggin' Northern West, Kingdom. From the West Side? From Is the that West what you're going to From the West Side? West Coast? From the Lower well, Southeast you know, Side of Mikado. <laughs> kind of how, like, every time they referred to Titus in uh, Final Fantasy X, they couldn't call the him, like, hero. The Xanarchid Abes. Every time, he's never, oh, yeah, he was on the Xanarchid Abes. Or it's, hey, that guy. It's always... He's the star player of the Xanarchy Names. That was always weird that they let you name him. And I was like, you you let me name the protagonist, and then we're just going to have everybody else name the exact same thing so that we can refer to everybody in cutscenes except yeah, the bothered. protagonist. Well, I, don't I think know why they, they were. That. They were trying to go with, like, the, you know, in, in past Final Fantasies, even 7 8, you could name all the characters. So yeah, they were I think trying to be that degree of freedom, being like, oh, it's a Final Fantasy staple. You have to be able to name the main character. But then later on, they were like, never mind. Well, I, okay, so so backing up here, you you start off in the Eastern Kingdom of Mikado, which is a oh, shut up. It's a combination Eastern and Western style kingdom, and you join up with the samurais. At, uh, I'm sorry, samurais. After you are given a magical gauntlet that acts like a wonderful cell phone, and I love that. And you go around fighting demons, and then a plot twist happens, and the game becomes very similar to the mainline Shin Megami Tensei series. If you didn't realize you were going to Tokyo, well, guess what? You're you're going to go to Tokyo, and that's when the game gets awesome! Right. So, it's just actually, in case you guys missed that, Rob loves a JRPG. If you were to compare the game to Dark Souls, I, I could understand if you thought that when you were only in the first dungeon, because the first dungeon in the game takes you probably anywhere between like three and five hours to get through. Yeah, it took and me it's six just a and dungeon a half. that you have yeah. to you have to keep yeah. Well if you suck maybe. Well yeah, I do suck I'm, at the game. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but I suck at the game. <laughs> you have to go back into the dungeon repeatedly. Like you have you make a little bit of progress, go back to town and save, rest, restock, and do that several times. And in that sense, yeah, it's similar to Dark Souls. But then it stops Man, me. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I really liked that progression. Like that's one of the things that felt really cool. It kinda reminded me and oh, boy, here we go. It reminded me of Silent Hill 2, where towards the end of Silent Hill 2, you're constantly going deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole, like you're climbing down holes and going into this, like, and it just keeps going, and you're like, where am I? And Shemming Gaming Hitsay 4, it's like you're going lower and lower, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, you're here now, and this is not what you expected. I think that's one of the things the game does better than almost any other pure dungeon crawler that I've ever played, is that there's a real sense of place and a real sense of adventure, like... There's a real danger to when you're playing yeah. this game. It's like, okay, I'm going to push myself just a little bit further and see what happens. Yeah, you'll probably die. <laughs> like, Yeah, <laughs> and that makes every time you do get a new piece of dialogue or a new cutscene, it's especially rewarding because you feel like you worked really hard for it. Yeah, you, you feel like you, you earned this. Like, good lord, so the game starts murderously hard. Like, I died, I think, on the second actual fight in the game. 
I just got obliterated. Maybe you're supposed to. I don't know. But uh, like the first couple boss fights, as you're as you're acquiring demons and you're using the press turn system. So if you use an attack that is weak to demons, you get another turn for your characters. So it's all about exploiting weaknesses. Um, and this. And this, that, and the other. And it really is like the beginning of the game when you don't have a whole lot of options is just brutal. There's an early boss fight right before you get to Tokyo that's like the make or break point of this of this whole game. I got the boss on my third try and it was pure luck. It was just pure luck that I, I got it to work the way it did. But like the game is murderously hard at the beginning. And then once you get to Tokyo, it really starts to uh, open up in the subtleties of the systems and the advancements that they've made over previous Shin Megami Tensei games. That The things that really used to piss me off, like the main character being killed, would stop and, and give you a game over. Or the fact that you could not see what uh, – you, you could you, – when you were uh, fusing demons, you'd have to do it over and over again until you got the skills you want. Nope, now you get to just assign the skills based on what the demon is getting from the two uh, parent demons. That stuff makes this game so much more tactical, in my opinion, and is such a turn for the better. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with the main character dying. It was frustrating, but I always felt like it was part of the game. But I also don't miss that. At least you don't lose if the main character dies automatically. Because I hated that. Yeah. And well, that's what I was saying. Like That never really bothered me. Like It was frustrating, but I was, I was like, well, this is part of this game. But I don't like miss it. I mean, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure purists are like, OMG mainstream so that way the final fantasy nerds will buy it but uh i don't think that yeah no i i really enjoyed that because uh i I remember in strange journey that killed that game for me i just got so fed up with that it it killed it in nocturne did it happen in persona 3 i can't remember i feel like if the main character died in persona 3 no um no no because you could uh no i don't think so no okay i I can't remember derek I just played that recently. I seriously can't remember. I, I want to say in the original Persona 3, yeah, you did die if the main character died. But I... But because I, everybody else is AI. Yeah, well, I know in Portable... I don't know. I feel like an idiot now. I don't know. No, no. We've played a lot think. of Shin Megami Tensei games recently. But anywho, I, just not having that restriction over me made the game way more enjoyable. And then the, the, I remember the first time, I think it was... I think it was with Nocturne where I was fusing demons and it was the first time I realized that the skills for the demons weren't set because I was like, oh, I really want this demon to have the fire spell, Augie, but he doesn't have it. Oh, I don't want to make him. And then I thought, you know what? I do want to make him. And so I went to activate him again and he had Augie this time. And I remember calling up John and just being like, wait a minute, the skills aren't set. They're random. And he was like, yeah, you got to deal with that. And I just... Blood and anger came out of my mouth. I was like, that is so stupid. And this game in 4, the ability to actually plan out your characters and take skills along the generations as you're fusing demons, it makes demon fusion way more fun, whereas before I was always terrified that I was making terrible demons. And I was well, going to end up I, screwed. I think that was fixed by, like, I know Persona 4 Golden, You had it was incredibly easy to take care of that. Yeah, I'm just saying that like the, the, the advancements that they made over the other SMT games, not the mainline games, they're really felt in this title. And I think there's also a fact that this being a portable title, they put a quick save feature into the game, which right. you can save anywhere. Uh, so it's not really a quick save, but you get to save anywhere in the dungeons. You don't have to go to a save point. That saved this game for me. 
that absolutely saved this game because you can die so fast and sometimes a boss fight, I mean, they normally give you a warning like, hey, there's a really strong demon coming up, but you end up going, oh, I'll knock the floor with that boss and then the boss just outright murders you real fast. Having the save anywhere feature in this game is a godsend. It's so awesome. I, I saved after every couple battles in that game because you never knew. Yeah. Like there were well later on not so much, but there are battles like there's this uh in one of the early Tokyo areas there's this demon macabre that's like a scythe wielding bald demon. And you almost always get in groups where there are two or three of them and they have this attack blight that does oh, yeah. physical and poison to your whole party. If they ambush you, you die. Yep. Like, <laughs> I remember those guys. Physical, you can't you can't win. Like if if two of them use blight, you're dead. That's it. So in that area, I just, like, avoided encounters. But, yeah, the, being able to save anywhere is really good in that game. It's a godsend. That plays into the the thing that I think is both a positive and a negative in the game. There's no more random battles. It's all you, you see the enemies on screen, and much like uh, Persona 3 and 4, you, get, you can attack them and get a preemptive strike and ensure that you get the first turn, which is so important in this game. But then the game kind of cheats sometimes, and, like, guys will just, like, literally jump out of like a lake or something and land on top of you and you'll get into a fight they might have the first turn and like Derek's saying they'll kill you before you even have a chance to fight back that happened a lot at the beginning of the game and then I started really raising my agility score to make sure that didn't happen so it got better but that was really driving me nuts and I I was sitting here going you know I always used to think that I would prefer having the non-random encounters but I do think this game pushed that theory of mine to the breaking point Uh, yeah, sure. I also think the camera sucks, but that's... That's not that bad. I, I didn't have any problems with the camera, but I could see if you had a problem with the camera, being very frustrated by the random jumps. It's, it's just like, because the enemies go super fast. Like, oh, yeah. They, spawn, and, they just rush you. And I'm not the... I'm very much like barrel straight ahead, and maybe it's my own uh, inability to take my time, but like in some of the dungeons with really, really tight corners, I would turn a corner... And I would just see the enemy and get into a fight, and then I'd lose, and I'd be so pissed. I'm just like, if that camera would just follow me a little bit faster, or if it wasn't, you know, swinging around like crazy. I mean, you do have control of the camera, but it, like all three camera angles that they give you and the ability to rotate it with the L and R buttons, it just doesn't feel very responsive to me. It, if it, it's a minor thing, and I was eventually able to kind of deal with it, but it, it ooh, ooh. Some of those deaths in this game just felt terrible. Like, oh my god. Yeah, you definitely die a lot. Like, people were worried that the game was going to become too easy. And I don't... They got rid of the time-consuming portion of the difficulty, which was, hey, you got to rerun through this dungeon, and you'll probably die on your way back. But now it's it's just... Yeah, you got killed over and over again in this battle, but you didn't spend an hour getting back there. So, like, well, you know, onward and upwards. Yeah, I, I didn't find Nocturne hard, except for like the Matador boss fight, which the less said about that, the better. But I didn't find Nocturne to be very hard. I did find Nocturne to be very tedious, as as Steven's kind of intimating here. Is like, there was a lot of times where I was like, man, I got to go level like five levels right now, and I was just wandering around doing that. That didn't feel very prevalent in 4. It felt like maybe it was just my own tendency to explore and over-level, but I really, really didn't feel like I had to grind too much until I got close to the end of the game when the difficulty really starts to spike again. It felt like the beginning of the game was really hard, and then the middle wasn't too bad, and then the end of the game is just like, ah! Yeah, that's how those SMTs roll, but that's how we like it. 
I guess. And uh, Derek was able to help me out a little bit by making me... Oh, yes, we all have the same ringtone. We do. Uh, yeah, do you, <laughs> is that really your ringtone? Yeah, I made... Uh, I also Dude. have the Mognet from Final Fantasy IX as my You Have Mail. What? Send Dude, that to me. Dude, <laughs> send that to me right now. Actually, it, my, it's Mike's text tone, too. So whenever I'm on like Skype with Mike and Derek, it's like, hey, whose phone was that? I just want to say I started this. All right? He did. Was, is this the one you have, Rob? Yep, that's mine. Yeah, I want yep, it. That, that was my old text noise. I want it. I only use that for emails because I feel like it has to come for mail. And then uh, my voicemail uh, alert is uh, receiving incoming transmission from StarCraft. <laughs> I, uh, I changed my email to – I wanted it to be a little bit more distinguishable, so I have the berry sound from Pokemans. Uh, nice. One of my yeah. text message sounds is, hey, other Barry from Archer. Everybody knows what my <laughs> ringtone is, so I don't even need to say anything. That that one's easy. So, uh, No, I, I think 4 is a really, really good game. I think it fits the mobile platform beautifully, uh, better than almost any other RPG I've played. I think we're like, Dragon Quest Nine felt very much like a mobile game, but I like certain things about it didn't sit right with me but Shin Megami Tensei 4 feels like a mobile game from the menus which are awesome to the way the game lets you save anywhere to the way it doesn't waste your time with that sort of stuff the fact that you it doesn't cost hardly anything to heal your whole party anymore so you're not doing that thing where man I gotta go earn some maka so I can heal my guys like that always drove me nuts there's just really really smart stuff in this game but as steven and derek pointed out it still maintains the smt difficulty yeah it's still not like oh hey game you are so easy game is Did you just brutal. pretend like the game was the character in the room yeah I, i've been doing it all week it's not going yeah, right. to so just i am sorry about that so yeah so, we all we all love we all love the game, and now it becomes a question of whatever the hell happens to Atlas. Uh, please, for the love of God, don't let Sega buy them. Why? Sega's Sega's a cool guy. I mean, we'll never get any of the games again, ever, but... Or if we do, we'll get, like... They'll make Shin Megami Tensei 5, and we'll get it, like, ten years later. Well, my want Sega to buy it. My question for you guys is, what's going to happen with, like, the next... Uh, everybody's talking about the next Persona game. I imagine we'll get it announced at Tokyo Game Show. Are we going to see Persona on a console, on a handheld? What are we going to see it on? God, I hope it's a console. I Don't get me wrong. I like Shin Megami Tensei 4, and even though earlier I said I wasn't going to finish it, I think that's just because I hadn't played it in two weeks. So I was like, I think the pacing is kind of bad. But then I was like, I think that's just because it's been two weeks since I saw a cutscene because I haven't played in two weeks. So then I decided I'm going to play it. However, the presentation is undoubtedly hampered by it being on a handheld. And that's and it's not as noticeable on a handheld because clearly they were trying to save a little bit of money. Totally cool because the game is still great. But there's something just a little bit off and budgety about, hey, look at these still images moving on these still backgrounds as we pan out. And, hey, look at this conversation as we're, like, warping back and forth between people, like, portraits. And it's still engaging, but... I don't know. I gotta be honest, that didn't, bo- that didn't bother me at all. Like, I agree with your complaint, but it didn't affect me at all. Like, I, I was okay with it. I was okay with the presentation style. Maybe it was because I-, I was, like, just coming off VLR, but I think it was a lot of, like, hey, it's a handheld. I'm okay with this. I'm not expecting, you know, Final Fantasy thirteen levels of cinematography. Yeah, but the thing is, it's less 
well, it, it looks less or it looks more budgety than the previous entry in the series. I mean, Persona 4 Golden came out, and yeah, I know that was originally a PS2 game and it's a port, so it didn't cost them as much, but that game has a better presentation than Shin Megami Tensei 4. The art design is great, and the, the combat animation looks awesome. Like everything like shreds or blows away oh, if you just love- wind on it. That's love, all really cool. I love but when I just, people shred. I love yeah. it when they just like burst like a pimple. Just like or when you <laughs> use like the gun weapon and it's like and they feel, it's like it's actually kind of fantasy starish, but old school fantasy star. Yeah, it does feel very fantasy but, star. But then the cutscenes start and it's like I'm not disinterested because I still think it's well written and it's interesting. At least it gets once you get past once you get to Tokyo, but it just it feels a little bit less. I don't know. I guess I am going to say it feels less engaging because it does. Well, the presentation is is definitely not as flashy, and I agree. Like some of the, I think the art is really nice, um, like the character art and stuff. But any of the cutscenes, like the animated cutscenes that have the characters in them, they're literally just still portraits that change expressions with a little blur effect. There's yeah. never any kind of motion. Yeah. And I and I realize that they can't go and spend a billion dollars because these aren't high budget. I mean, high budget games, relatively speaking, to like SquareSoft. And I realize that, you know, that's a better alternative than never getting these games again. But it's still, it's a bummer, because the last ones didn't feel that way. Yeah, I can agree with that for sure. Yeah, I really had a blast with this. I was able to finish it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to play it again. I started it up, and I thought I was going to be into it again, but I was kind of like, maybe I was exhausted because I had been screaming so much at the last couple bosses that I was just like, whew. Uh, that was good to finish, but it, it's definitely a really, really powerful game. It, it it makes you anybody that says the turn-based combat is always easy. Yeah, you need to play this because because you are wrong. So it's it's definitely a good game, and I'm I'm excited to see what they do next. Uh, you know, what are some more of the lessons that they learned from this title, from Persona 4 Golden? And I think we have nothing to see but but good things from Atlas in the future. I think they made a really really good game here. Yeah, and I think what's also great is that they changed composer, they changed the artist. Like, I, I know um, Kazuma Kaneko, I think he was still involved with the game, but the new artist, Masayuki Doi, was still, like, it still had its own flair. It was a little bit more, I think, it was less stylized, but still looked very Shin Megami Tensei. And the new, the new composer is awesome. Like, it has this really old-school Shin Megami feel to the music, which I, I just... It's, it's, it's really hard to recreate that style when you're not on a Super Nintendo, but they did a yeah. really great job with it. Yeah, it's very very dark, gritty, grungy, crunchy. I like crunchy. It, a lot. it is crunchy. I don't know right. if I could we're, play we're this done. whole game. We're exhausted. SMT4, no, no more. Done. Yeah, it's awesome. Definitely go pick it up if you have a 3DS. Please do. Yep, yep, yep. Read my review! There you go. You also, uh, we, we both got a chance to review Dragon's Crown. We did, and we both enjoyed it. We both enjoyed it quite a bit, despite the game holding back its best feature for so damn long. Which is pretty mysterious. Yep, so Dragon's Crown, a lot of people, we've talked about it before, uh, so a lot of people have talked about it. Uh, it is an old-school beat-em-up in the vein of uh, Castle Crashers, or for some of us older folks, uh, Golden Axe and Streets of Rage. It's got a loot system in it, uh, and character progression, levels, and boobs does have a lot of boobs lot oh of my boobs. god just enjoy the fan service man okay we're gonna get there here in a second because yeah i wish we weren't but okay no <laughs> i'm gonna open up i'm gonna open up the can of words again and if we no one already else opened it up i know i'm gonna get there but um, yeah but i think that was before we played the game though yeah it was it before was, we played the game and then when you play the game it you was find actually out 
worse <laughs> than I imagined in the game. Yeah, it kind of was. but well, I, I say worse, but, you know, it was more extreme than I imagined it would be. I want to talk about the game first, because the game's okay. the important part. It's Yeah, it is. It's it's a great game. Yeah, no, it really is. Uh, Derek and I were both very down on it for, like, the first five hours, so maybe Derek wants to talk about that for a second. Well, I wasn't as down on it as you were. I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this. I just feel like it could be better. And then as soon as the online opened up, I was like, whoa! Yeah, you start the game, and you don't have online. You can only play, if you're playing on PS3, you can only play uh, couch co-op. Uh, that, that gets the other kind of slight issue I have with the game, which is that this game could have been like a big Vita seller if they had done cross-play uh, cross or uh, cross-buy. Yeah, they did neither of those. Uh, you can transfer saves, but that's it. And they sort of like... There's a lot of apologism going on for that. It's like, well, they're not Sony, and they don't have a giant budget. And I'm like, I don't buy that. This isn't defending them at all, but they, uh, I did hear that this was Vanillaware's most expensive game ever. Like Their uh, budget was sky high. Well, the, the PS3 version of the game costs 50 bucks, right? Right. I think if they had done like a $70, you get both. Back, yeah. That might have been the smart decision. But anywho, Probably. like that's that should have, would have, could have. But uh, you only have couch co-op available at the start. And I got to admit, like the game, it wasn't really grabbing me. I think at the very start, since you're, you're playing a level and then you finish the level and you go back to town and you sell your equipment and then you go on to the next level and you do this, and it, it's very stilted because the levels are only about 10 to 15 minutes long with an end boss fight at the end of each one. And so I was really like, wow, this is very routine. Finish the level, sell the loot, come back to town, get a story bit, go to the level, finish the level. And I was really, really like, what is this game? It's not holding my attention. It's It's got a real flow problem. And then after you finish the first nine levels, you open up the online and then a second path through each level, and the game gets awesome. Yeah, the issue isn't even for, for me, it wasn't even as much that I couldn't play online, and, and I did enjoy that. Once that opened up, I had way more fun playing with people online than I did AI characters, but it was the pacing that was the problem, because like Rob said, you're going back, like, between each level, you have to go and go into a few different shops or talk to a few different NPCs, and you're getting a little bit of story, but the story isn't really the point. It's it's very, like, generic Stupid. fantasy, you must protect the realm from the monsters, and so that's, I mean, you're doing that and you're like, why am I spending all this time talking to these NPCs? I just want to go through the dungeons. But once you get to the part where they open up online, like Rob says, you get a, a second route through each dungeon that ends in a, a different boss. And more importantly, I think, you get the ability to continue and do stages consecutively and you get bonuses for the more stages you do in a row. And the stages are random. So you might start well, off they on a... Can. You can you can choose right. or you can random yeah and and i think the random element makes the game so fun because like you as a party are, are adventuring and going forward and getting the bonuses like derek said like you might get better loot or you might get more gold and that starts to really incentivize you and that's when the durability of your weapons starts to play into it you're like man i, I really can't go much further because my damage output's going to go down here in a little bit there's a really cool risk reward system in place but it takes five freaking hours to get to it and then worse if you start a new character you have to do it again that's pretty baffling i agree because i was playing with some friends and we had there were five of us so we all played somebody was like i'll sit out that's fine so we played for a while and then the fifth person decided to get in on it and i mean i said okay i'll sit out so i was being first player to kind of guide everybody through 
So I said, okay, I'll sit out. And we switched out, and they made a character. And come to find out that if they made a character in the first player slot, they had to start all over. And it looked like I couldn't get my progress back. That I may be wrong about that point, um, but we couldn't see a way to get back to where we were. So like everybody had to go through the first five or six stages again with the person's new level one character. And I was like, why is all the progress tied to one person. It's really odd that all your progress is tied to whoever's in the first player slot. Yeah, I did the same thing with Jackie when we were playing together. I let her be player one with my, like, level 47 dwarf. And we had to start all the way from the beginning, but I was, like... Very protect- husbandly of you. Well, I mean, I was basically protecting her. She couldn't take, like, hardly any damage, so it was that awesome. just hilariously wow, uh, adorable. in generals. I know, totally. She was playing as the Amazon, too, so... There you go. But yeah, I mean, it's it really is an awesome game. When you get through the opening and how long it takes to actually get to the good stuff, you find a really well-paced game. I really like the way the skill trees develop and how each character class feels different. I mean, I tried to play the game as the elf, and I was just terrible and could not stand her. I had no clue how anybody would be able to play as the, the mage classes. And then as I got more and more comfortable with the game and all the things that are going on, I was really able to start appreciating, oh, this is how this character class behaves. Everybody is really different in this game, and that's one of the things I really, really like about it. Yeah, i got to give you a little bit of crap, though, because it it says on the character select menu for the magic users and the elf, it says, recommended for expert players. And, of course, Rob chooses one of those first and then complains. like. Well, I, I, well I, in I Rob's was... defense, a lot of games say that, but that's just like... I've played a lot of Golden Axe in my day. Like, you know, I could, I used to be able to beat Death Adder by myself. Like, it's just when, getting into the flow and, and understanding positioning. And I, I do think, like, I, I never was able to come to terms with the Elf. I really feel like her hitbox on her attacks is very, very small. And lining up shots with her is not fun. Like, you'll miss just because you're slightly off. Uh, that's why I think the, the melee classes fare a little bit better there. The mage classes suffer from that too with their long-range spells, but most of their short-range stuff is so splashy that you'll never see it. So yeah. you'll end up doing a, you'll end up hitting things when you're not directly lined up with them. But like, especially some of the flying enemies were really, really hard to figure out where you're attacking. And I think the only really co- real complaint I have about this game is I think that when you have four players... It just becomes a cacophony of insanity. Like, you, you can't tell what's going on sometimes. But it's that's just, awesome. No, it, it is awesome, but, like, if you're playing a really, really hard boss, it can get really obnoxious. Like, what the hell? Like, there were times where I died, and I'm like, I have no idea what just happened. I just got wiped out. And so you can't take the game super seriously, which I think is actually a point in its favor. The So that's a minor issue. The bigger issue I have with the game, though, is that some of the bosses, it's really hard to tell what their hitbox is. Like, you're sitting there going, I really should be hitting this guy right now, but I'm not, because the only area I can hit him is his head. Meanwhile, this other enemy that looks like he's floating 12 feet off the ground, even though I'm on the ground, I'm hitting him. Yeah, I, I you know, I... I can appreciate that being frustrating, especially with how stylized the art is. I think that's just kind of sort of occupational hazard of this genre. Because I've been playing. Yeah. I, I was with a friend for the past week. Like he came to visit, and we ended up playing the Scott Pilgrim beat 'em up. Which I don't know why RPG fan didn't cover that if we covered Dragon's, Dragon's Crown, because that's quite RPG as well. If that's your metric, whatever. Uh, and it can be hard to judge your hits in that too. Like especially if someone goes down. I don't. I don't remember in Dragon's Crown. If someone goes down, you can get them back up, right? Uh, no. You ain't ever going to keep them down? You can, if they lose all their lives, you can, somebody on the team can spend gold to bring them back. Okay. 
Well, like in Scott Pilgrim, when someone goes down, you can, before they lose their life, there's like a three-second counter or a nine-second counter that you can walk over and press the button really fast to, like, give them a second wind. And that can be, like, you'll see times the circle button also blocks, and you'll see people, like, get near someone to revive them and then block, like, 50 times because it's just like, oh, I missed. I'm not perfectly lined up. And that's, I think that's just something that is kind of endemic to this genre. Yeah. uh, One of the bosses in particular, she kind of hovers... And it was like, why am I not hitting her? And playing as the dwarf against her was terrible because I could not hit her on the ground. So I just had to keep jump attacking her over and over again. It sucked. I was like, this really, really sucks. Meanwhile, the mage can just sit underneath her and just like light fireballs over and over again. And they always hit. So there, well, there's some weirdness there where it's like, why am I not hitting this character? But I think you're right. It's just part of the genre. And the moral of the story is that you should have been playing the mage anyway, but... Yeah. But you digress. I do. Okay, so the art style. Here's my deal. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I want to keep this brief because I, I think some people read my review and some people were like, I was offended by it. It takes a lot to offend me. I am not offended by this game's art style. I have no problem with the art style. My only thing that I'm voicing here is I think a lot of people are championing this as, well, it's art. Video games are art. How can you have a problem with art? Now, here's the deal, guys. Okay, let's let's lay the cards on the table. This is here. Sorry, go ahead. I don't want to steal your point. The Sorceress and Amazon, the Sorceress in particular, and some of the scenes that you find in the game and like these single panel sort of faux cutscene things, they're designed to titillate. Let's let's just be honest here. They're designed to titillate. They're designed to show off the female body in a sexual way. That is not a bad thing. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem when people don't acknowledge that what they're looking at is a sexy sexual design. I agree. Let's call the donut a donut. Let's yeah, not it, change the let's not call it a, a health circle and then be like, "Well, it's a health circle. It just also happens to be full of fat." The, the sorceress's boobs are designed to make you look at them. The, I mean, even I look at them. And I'm <laughs> yeah, uh, and like the the uh, the one, you find a female character who's chained up, and you can click on her, and she'll writhe, and I'm just like... That, see, that... It that, bugs me because it's not... It's exactly what you guys said. Like, it's pretending to not be sexualized. And well, I'm you know exactly what? like Robin that I'm not bothered by anything sexual at all like i am almost impossible to offend well and then of course somebody's going to say something awful but well i don't i don't think the developers are trying to masquerade it as that i think it's you have on the internet you have it's not a problem i know there's a really good female main character in this other game so there's no problem whereas i and and they're the ones going oh well there's nothing wrong with this it's not it's art it's supposed to be like that it's like no it's supposed to I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with it either. Like, wrong isn't the word I would use. Yeah, yeah, I, it's just you know, call the kettle black it, if it's black. I found it weird. Uh, and and what, what was funny yeah, was yeah, like weird is is exactly how I felt about it. It was just it felt a little it it like it made me it didn't skeevy. make me uncomfortable or it just felt kind of skeezy. Like yeah, this is odd that it's like, not like if it's if it's hentai, it's hentai. Exactly. You know, if it's porn, it's porn. But this is a game that isn't porn, and it's like. Look at me, I'm really sexy. But no, but that's not the point. I'm a game. Like, wait, wait, what? You're, you're, like, you're not going to... The fact of the matter is, you wouldn't play this around your mom. And if you would, that's great, listener. 
but I wouldn't. And I have a very close relationship with my mother, and you know, I swear around her all the time. So, like Mallory and Sterling Archer close? No. Well, well, it's it's the same way that like my, it's like the same way when my mom would come in while I was watching The Sopranos. And that was always a little uncomfortable between me and my mother. And I'm like, okay, you know, like uh, this is a little, little weird right now. I don't it, know. I don't know enough about The Sopranos to say that that's a good comparison, though. Like, did you want to not want to watch The Sopranos because there were sex scenes in it? Or yeah, yeah, I, exactly. The sex scenes, like that. Uh, that's okay. the stuff that. And again, I, I understand that some people are like, well, violence is okay in games. Like, why do you have a problem with the sex? No, it's not that. It's it's exactly what Derek said. It feels weird, and it feels like, look at this, but don't look at this. And the way people are saying it is like, oh, well, it's art. Okay, the Amazon's stun animation makes her go down on all fours, and she's showing off her butt. And it looks really awkward. And that design that design has been made for one reason. It's been designed to titillate. And if you don't acknowledge that it was designed to titillate, then now you're not even focusing on what the artist's intentions were. Like, and I also, this is just sort of a tangential point, but a lot of people are attacking in particular, there's a polygon review of the game that gave it a, like a 6.5. And the reviewer was a woman who said that she found the art style gross. Oh, here we go. And I you internet. We don't really need to get into this, but like every response I saw from people that weren't reasonable people was like, shouldn't have let a woman review the game. And it's like, are you kidding me? I, yeah, you, yeah. So you're telling me not entitled to her opinion because she's a woman. It's like saying, oh, this is art. This is art. But it's only for men. Oh, that's right. Because it's just art, ridiculous. Art, because an artist draws something and goes, a woman's not going to understand this. Like, like I. I that's what the, I that's what offends me like I, not not nudity not violence anything like like that kind of perspective that incredibly chauvinistic like a woman isn't allowed to review this because it's made for men like that. and you know what is and you know what it is too it's them going oh a woman doesn't like to see sexy things are they flat out stupid yeah like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak I'm I, you know I have no way to speak for that but there's this like very overarching philosophy among our industry where it's a bunch of young dudes going, oh, women don't like sexy things. That's why they shouldn't review Arts and Elico. That's why they shouldn't review Dragon's Crown, because they don't like sexy things. And I'm like... I mean, I, Jackie and I played the game together. My wife and I played this game. And there were times where she looked at the screen and looked at me, and I was like, I- I'm sorry. And if, if you know anything about my wife... It's same with her. Like, it's almost impossible to offend her. She said at one point when she got to the wood nymph or whatever it is that's chained up to a bed, Jackie just went, is there a male character that's chained up to the bre- to a bed and, like, a leaf is covering his penis? And I looked at her. I was like, no. And she said, that's why I'm pissed off is because if you did the exact same thing to a male character, okay, cool. But it's the fact that the male characters aren't put into those sexual positions. I mean, the dwarf just lays face down when he is stunned. The sorceress, on the other hand, sits on her butt, her boobs pressed up to her face, she rides back and forth, and I swear to God, I've seen that exact same art in a hentai game. Yeah, well, and a lot of people defend it as, as acceptable. They're like, well, the male, you know, the males are just, exag- just as exaggerated as the females, and it's exactly like you said, they're not doing anything sexual. Like, yeah, it's, it's impossible for them to see it from the other perspective because they're straight males. Like, the vast majority of the audience are straight males. Th- yeah, were- and, and that's the thing, is it's, it, it's a disingenuous argument. It's going, 
oh, well, the men are, are hyper-stylized too, but not in the same way. Right. And and I think I, I want to leave it at this, which is uh, after we, Derek and I had, had reviewed the game, uh, there came out that you can, uh, when you click on things during the cutscene portions of the game, you'll get like hidden dialogue options and you'll also get like little tiny animations. And so, of course, with the nymph, when she's chained to a bed and you click her, she rides and like, ah! And I, I felt so horrible when I saw that. But then I thought for a second, I said, wait a minute. I remember that there's a male character that's big and burly and very Conan looking. I wonder if Conan. You cl- and I was like, I wonder if you click on him if he does something sexual, because I said, if he did, like, a, like, blushed or something, if, like, he tapped, yeah, then I would be like, okay, now I'm actually seeing a sexualization of both characters, but instead he just gives, like, a, and it's not the same, he doesn't, like, he doesn't, he doesn't respond in a sexual way, and I think that's the problem, is that certain female characters and it's not all of them that's why like the elf is an awesome design the princess is an awesome design so it's not all of them and that's what makes it even more weird and I that think... gets right and that gets right to the point sorry Derek, i'll make my point Go quick ahead. that's fine it, that gets right to the point he doesn't make a sexual noise because that's the point and right. people are like well no it's just meant to be stylized no the women in the game are meant to be all like hey you got a boner the dudes are all meant to be like oh big ogre conan and that's yep. And that's not a ba- and see my pro- my thing is and I want to re- return to this. That's not a bad thing. It didn't affect my review. It does affect the fact that I will not play this game with my students because I would be fired. But I just don't like the fact that a lot of people are saying, "Well, it's art, and you shouldn't view it like that." Like it's my fault that a sexy art game design definitely. is making me go, "That's a sexy game design." Yeah, well, art is subjective, so. Yeah, it's just like, and again, I'm gonna argue against myself here. When like the mass, uh, when you're gonna argue art and games, people are like, oh, Mass Effect Three, the ending. Well, it's their artwork, so they get to do it however they want. But that doesn't absolve them from criticism to it. Right, and I, I would just say that Dragon's Crown was a game that I was really looking forward to playing with the kids in the dorm because it's it's exactly what you look for in a party game. But its art design is makes a, it unplayable. It's a barrier of entry. Here's my thing. I think that if you enjoy Dragon's Crown, awesome. I loved it. And, yeah, I liked it a lot, too. And I also don't think that anybody should be ashamed of looking at the sexy art and being titillated. Like, if you look at if you look at the character designs and you're like, that's hot. Fine. No problem. But the problem don't, is that people are pretending like that's not the case. Right. Yeah, they're, they're pretending like that's not the intention of it. Like, yeah. good for you. Like, I, you know, I look at pornography all the time. I'm a, I'm a male in his 20s. Like, who, That's the intro quote, please. <laughs> who doesn't? No, but, it's like, true. Like, like it, that's fine. It's just that people are like, well, well, it's just artistic. It's not sexual. It is sexual. And it is artistic. It yes. can be both. Yeah, exactly. And so just acknowledge it. And, you know, I, I take your breath away. <laughs> that was pretty. <laughs> so, yeah, Dragon's Crown is awesome. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an excellent game. I think that we need to have conversations like this if you're going to take the art form seriously. And, you know, hey, if if, if, you, if you got turned on playing the game, that's okay. And you don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you do want to, go ahead. But, you know. It's not a bad thing. Like, I mean, you know, that's what the art is kind of there to do. So. I will say that the problem I have is... Now I don't know which console to get it for, because if I get it for PS3, I can play it with Rob. But if I get it for Vita, I can play it with Derek. No, Derek has a PS3 copy. 
Oh, that's right, because it was like you got both. Yeah. Yeah, they gave, they gave me a code for both. Thank you, Atlas. So I guess I just have to get the PS3 version. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think I, we'll have a lot of fun with it. I actually prefer the PS3 version, but yeah. Well, and on the Vita version, you get you, you can use the touchpad to like click on the environment and find that is secrets easier. and stuff. I just I prefer the size of the PS3 version, being able to play on a big screen. Yeah. So is that is that like that's probably a good thing for us to mention for people that don't know because I certainly don't. Is there really much different, or is it literally just you can use the touchscreen and the graphics yeah, are bigger? Yeah, I, I said so in my review, but it's just the touchscreen pretty much, um, and being able to do that is really convenient. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think that that system on the PS3 sucks. Like, I hate wheeling the cursor around to touch things. It's, it's very weird. I mean, it's workable, but it's kind of lame. Yeah, it's it's a little... Eh, but I uh, the art in the game is beautiful. Like, uh, it, the game looks great. It runs at a good clip. I only ran into slowdown a couple of times, but it is a really cool game. They do a lot of really cool design decisions with, like, especially the, um, the second path bosses. You always have to do something a little different with them, which I really, really like. That's kind of cool. Yep. It's a great game. It's a great so, game. Yeah, you probably would not be upset purchasing Dragon's Crown unless you live in a nursery. Yeah, or work at a boarding school. Also, yes. Yeah, just got to be careful with this game. So, okay, tell me about Tales of Crossilia. Uh, Tales of Exelia is a Tales game. Uh, if you have played recent Tales games, and I don't say this in a reductionist or a negative way, you'll know what to expect. Tales games are known for being reliable. Um, and this one so far strikes me as having been well translated uh it's the production on it is great like the menus look awesome everything is like super pretty looking um the combat is really just it's really tight and fast i like it a lot and it just there's tons of stuff to do it if you want to play a jrpg that is good play this one i'm i'm loving on it so far uh today i beat chapter one and i think there are six chapters i could be wrong but my game clock was at about 15 hours after beating Chapter 1. So this looks like it's going to be a, a, good, a good length. It's probably going to speed up towards the end. But I'm, I'm expecting 40-ish hours out of it, I hope. I, I like it enough that I really want to play and, and complete the heck out of it. I will probably also do a second playthrough with Mila almost right away because I really, really like it. Because the combat is so the combat flows incredibly well. It's, yeah, like it... The, I was telling Rob, it, the last one I, I really, really played was I beat the first act in Vesperia, but I beat the crap out of Abyss. And in Abyss, you had to use your 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 X cores or whatever, or your you know, your AD skills. You had to learn a lot of the, spe- the abilities in battle, whereas this one, you start out with a lot of your basics. And as a result of the, the Lilium Sphere, you're getting specialer abilities, but like the backflip when you're like to air recover... And just a lot of like the basic stuff you have right off the bat, and it just it feels really actiony. Yes, and Tales of Graces also has a really really good combat system. I, I couldn't say which one I think is better. I think Graces is actually a little bit faster, but I still really like the the pace of the Zillia system, and I like that every character has sort of a signature move. the The really big thing that differentiates uh, Zillia from past Tales games is it's it's got the linked system where you have four characters in battle, and you can pair them. And as you pair them, they get they'll sort of form a pincer attack on an enemy. And every character has a pair ability and a unique thing that they do. So, for example, Jude's pair ability is if you're if you're controlling one character and Jude is your partner, if you get knocked down, Jude will help pick you up and recover a little bit of your HP. 
and Jude's ability when you're playing as him is if you backstep and dodge an enemy attack at the right time, he'll teleport around the back and get the drop on the enemy a Which lot. Which is like, awesome. It is awesome. It's just actually it's actually just like Edge in Star Ocean Four. Um, his thing was if you dodged, he'd teleport right behind them. So it's so that's his thing. Or like if you're Mila. Not that I really need to go into describing all these, but I'm going to for Mila. Mila's thing is if she's your partner, she'll bind the enemy sometimes and make it so they can't move. And when you're playing as her, uh, she can shift her arts, her special attacks, in different ways depending on whether you hold the art button down or not, which is cool. When when you said that they uh, that the people can do special moves, does that mean that like the one guy character can do the sharpshooter? What? what? No, nobody's going to pick up on a 90s ref- wrestling reference? Dude, I never watched wrestling. Uh, I like to watch people, things that were good. People's Elbow? The People's Elbow, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know what the People's Elbow is. I just... Stone Cold Stunner? Yeah. yeah. You got yeah. nothing. The uh, uh, Sweet Chin music? You you could probably just stop now. That'd Tombstone? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so what is the big difference between choosing the characters? Like That was something I didn't realize until I did a little bit of research into the game on my end. It's like, you get to choose which character you want to play as, but does that have a huge impact outside of combat? Okay, so in all Tales games recently, you can play as any of your party members, and it's like Xenoblade, where they all play completely differently. Um, Which is awesome. And now, picking the two main characters, you're going to get them both, as far as I can see, and I'm sure they'll be unified by the end, but they kind of go in and out. So if you pick Jude, you start out in Jude's medical school, and then Mia shows up afterwards, and you guys, and she's with me right now, but I don't know how long she will be. And if you pick Mia, you start out as her. So you're you're always, you always have that character as your perspective. So you get different cutscenes. I call her Comrade Mila because she's like Mila Jovovich. I'm Comrade Mila, Mila Jovovich. Comrade Mila is good character. Yeah, so In they, Soviet so they stories. Um, although I can tell you that at the point I'm at, they've only been separated once. And it wasn't for super, super long. So... What basically, uh, it just gives you different perspective on what's happening. What I've heard is that Jude's story gives you Jude's more of like a player insert character. Like he doesn't know what's going on, and you get more explanation on events if you're playing as Jude. And Mila provides a better Mila provides interesting background information that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So I hear it's recommended to play as Jude first. That's what I'm doing, just because I I like hand to hand fighters. So. Yeah, I mean... But you can't go wrong, I mean... Yeah, because you can play as both of them once right. you have them. Like, you can switch exactly. in battle anytime you want. Which is, uh, like, I will prob- 30 minutes in. I, unless I see something really different, I doubt I'd play it again, unless it's on, like, a higher difficulty with the grade shop, which, basically, in Tales games, you can buy, like, 10 times XP for your new game plus, and, like, all kinds of different abilities, like, carryover stuff, which is awesome, yeah. Because then you can play the super high difficulty, too. But... I don't really see much purpose in playing as the second character because it strikes me that they're probably going to be together for most of the game anyway. And so it's like, why bother switching? It just depends on how much mileage you want to get out of the game. I really really enjoy the game. And you are too, Steven. Everybody's different. I think I might play through it again, but I can totally see why you wouldn't want to because they're not that different. It's kind of like Claude and Rena in Star Ocean 2. Yeah. Well, I'd I'd look at it this way. If it's like... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, they're convergent, and they have little parts where they're different, but not not even as much as Star Ocean 2. Like, in Star Ocean 2, you got different... You got, you got a couple of different party members, depending on who was your main. Yeah. Like, yes and Leon, right? And then yes. in this, you get everybody, and you can play as either... Like, if you choose Jude, you'll get Mila, like, 30 minutes in, and you can play as her the whole game if you want to. 
Yeah, and but when you split, you'll see Jude's story. What? Yeah, and what? What I can see it being cool for is I played Tales of the Abyss twice, and the second time I played it on the unlockable unknown difficulty, where you you know, and you you go to the grade shop, you buy ten times XP, you buy you know carry over all your skills, so you basically start the new game. That in this game I could see being cool because if they have all that, and in some cases they have bosses you can only fight in a second playthrough. That would be cool then having a second character and a second perspective because then you're playing a new game plus you have all your stuff but you still are getting some new stuff too because you picked a different character. And if that's the case, I probably will play it again. And since you mentioned skills, now would be a good time to talk about the character progression system in the game which has been often compared to Final Fantasy X's Sphere Grid which it is pretty close to that. It's kind of like a, a hexagon that keeps expanding outwards in a web. You unlock nodes along a path and every time you fill in a little trapezoid you get whatever ability is contained within that trapezoid it's kind of hard to explain it think of it this way it looks like a spider web and in in every cell of the spider web there's an ability and if you buy the four abilities that border that that fit that are in that cell then you get the ability in the center and like for example you'll buy hp plus 50 you'll buy you know art attack plus 50 and then you'll, you'll buy, like, you know, TP up or something like that. And then in the middle will be an ability that's sort of germane to those four abilities. It actually, it works, it's, it's a sort of more graphical representation of, the, of a similar system from Tales of Innocence R. Which I have not played, so I wouldn't be well, able to good. make that comparison. So I hear, no wait, Innocence? I heard Innocence R wasn't that good. Hearts R is good. Hearts R, that's what I meant. That's the one yeah. that I'm playing. That's what I hear. So... It's got a bit more customization than your typical Tales game because you can actually choose which path to go along. Although, to the point I'm at, I haven't really... Like, I could unlock almost every ability that's available to me for every character as I expand the, the Lilium Orb, so I don't really see a point in focusing on a specific thing. It's like, you might as well just unlock everything. But it is cool that they let you develop it as you please. And what I really like is, now that I have... I finally got all six party members... And you can actually switch them out in battle. You don't have to wait and Oh, really? Out. That's cool. Yeah, so you can you can click your R3, and then you can actually just put in whatever character you want. And there have been a couple... It's really interesting to see at the end of battle, like, all six of them standing there. Uh, because Tales games have... One of the things that Tales games are known for are battle quotes. Yes. Uh, and, like, victory quotes. There will be a lot of things where... It, it adds a lot of nuance to the characters and enhances their personalities because they'll interact with each other. Like, they'll win a battle, and one of the really early ones is uh, with Jude and Mila. Like, you'll win a battle, and then Mila grabs his hand, and she's like, you have such big hands. No wonder you can pack a punch. And he's <laughs> like, uh, thanks? Yeah, yeah, some of them are serious, some of them are humorous. Like, And that's... What, that's to, to tell you, Rob, who's never played these games... The Tales games have Save the World stories. Some of them are better than others, but they're all at least serviceable. You're playing the Tales games for the characters. The skits are, they range from everything from building and backstory to telling a joke to having just like a totally bizarre conversation. Like in Tales of the Abyss, there was a character who was totally obsessed with cat paws. There was one character who was terrified of women. He had gynophobia, so like the girls would mess with him and try to like poke him and he'd freak out. And, like, the portraits animate when they're talking. And this one has voice skits, but that's not new anymore. But it's new to me. And, like, the battle quotes are another way to really, really give your characters personality. Like, I, I think I saw Tales of the Abyss at my local Target the other day. Should I have picked it up? Uh, Tales of the Abyss is not rare. Well, but it's yeah, awesome. You it for 3DS, right? Yeah, I saw it for 3DS. I actually do not like the 3DS part of that game. 
because I think it's I think the presentation is scaled down a bit to the point where it looks kind of cheap. Well, um, Tales of the Abyss has one of the better casts, in my opinion. Actually, it has a really polarizing cast. I thought it was fantastic. I think they're the best cast in the series. Some people don't like it because yeah. the main character is really insufferable for a long time, but that's his, his growth his growth is pivotal to the story. Yeah, so. and that's what and that's what's really cool is like his best friend likes him but acknowledges that he's kind of a jerk. And so you get the, all these really cool dynamics for his, like, you know, as he becomes less, less insufferable, his friend's like, yeah, you were kind of insufferable. And we have some serious issues to work out. And that's, yeah, Abyss is, is my favorite Tales game. I mean, this one's pretty awesome so far, but it, it's too early to say if it, that'll change. But yeah. it's the, such a... Abyss is the ugliest game in the series in terms of 3D. Like, it looks awful, which is why it's not as bad in 3DS. I but the, say it looks worse than Legendia. Yeah, all right, yeah, touche. Uh, it's better than Legendia, which was awful, but it it doesn't look great. And on the flip side, it had a lot of glitches on PS2 that are fixed in the 3DS version. Like on the world map, towns would like warp across the screen, so your town could be like a broken polygon that was like stretching into the sky. What? And that's that's fixed. And like you could break characters' late game quests to get super abilities. And but the 3DS version, the trade-off is that the audio quality is a little worse and the font is ugly as crap. It is. I would say, for Rob, I wouldn't. I would say go straight to Zillia. And we've talked about it before, but I think Grace's you would enjoy the combat system and hate the story, whereas Zillia has a great combat system and a serviceable story, if not a good one. Um, for what it's worth, I also think it has the best character designs in the entire Yeah, they look series. really cool. All of the characters look fantastic. And they all play really, really differently, like Steven said. Even, like, Rowan, I did not expect to like based on his character design because I was like, there's always an old character, whatever. But he's fantastic. He's an old gentleman, and he conducts magic like music. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, Rob has the benefit of having never played a Tales game. And so if you play them incrementally... They're iterative, so they're all, all very similar, but they're all improved. So when you're playing right. Excelia, you're playing what is essentially them having had every Tales game before to get this right. So it's still the same core. It's a turn-based RPG. You go to a town, you go to a dungeon, you explore, you do side quests, you fight lots of battles. The battles are insanely fast. Like, literally, I don't play on normal mode, but on normal mode, the battles, literally, you can they're over in 5-10 seconds. Um, and there, there's no loading times. It just, like, jumps right into the battle. Yeah, it, it, at this point they have redu- they have gotten rid of the we're wasting your time thing. So, hmm. well, uh, I think you'd like it. It's I, the place for you to start. I think you'd like it too. It 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 has tropey characters and my my I what, I forget what I said earlier. I had two really small complaints, and one of them is that Mila's voice is weird. Um, they Stephen hasn't gotten to her yet because he's in the really beginning. He's in the really early stages of the game. But her voice is, they, they wanted to make her voice deeper, but it sounds like she's not a native English speaker. Mm. Well, so. I th- it strikes me that that was on purpose. Like, I've heard her voice, and it's definitely, it's, I could see it being polarizing. Um, well, she, like, she, like, she stumbles on pronunciation of some words, and it doesn't seem like it's in character. It, it seems like it's the voice actress not doing a good job. But that's subjective, I guess. Yeah, like, the... And then you had mentioned that the connecting areas were generic. and Yeah, some of the field areas are generic. But, I mean, none of it, neither of those things have made me go, oh, this sucks. It's just like, oh, well, if I have to point out the things that are not perfect, those are the things. Yeah, the emphasis in a Tales game is on building your party up and learning about your characters through skits and battle quotes and running around. I love it. I think it's great. 
I think I'll just it, replay it, Xenoblade. It may be, okay, that's a good idea. I'll fully support that. But I think Zillia may be on track to be my favorite Tales game. We'll see. I like it a lot so far, and I I, I sure do like this opening cutscene that I'm watching. Oh God, it's so good. It's it's definitely Ayumi Hamasaki doing her best. It's top form. Really, really good opening song. I've watched it every time I booted the game up. Look, it's yeah. called Progress. Look it up. If you like any kind of, I mean, it's J-poppy, but it's really good. I think Rob should buy this instead of replaying Xenoblade because he already beat Xenoblade. But... I think so too. He should play something new. But if he's gonna replay anything, Xenoblade. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. I'm replaying Skyrim because I'm a moron. Wait, stop! Stop! Yeah, but no, nobody really. Nobody replays Skyrim, though. You're going to play it and roam for a while and then get bored because the game has no impetus to push you forward. Yeah, but and I kind of like that. come back to it. <laughs> I, no, yeah, no. That, yeah. It's, a great, it's a great time waster, for sure. Like, like, I was playing it a little while ago, and it's definitely still fun, but I could see myself playing it for five hours and being like, oh, that's right, I've seen literally everything in this game. Well, two, then, thing, two things yeah. sucked me back into Skyrim. The first was our discussion about character classes because I was remembering how frustrated I got with Skyrim's... Uh, crazy the the way it handles combat and the way it handles the skill system i ended up completely breaking my character by focusing on stealth way too early and you know i wanted to give it another shot and focus on some form of combat and then use stealth to round out my character that was one reason i wanted to pick it up again the other reason was because bethesda had quakecon the other day and uh at quakecon they announced like an 80 or 90 dollar uh, Elder Scrolls uh, anthology collection, which has all the games, and I was going to buy that. I was like, that sounds really awesome. And then I realized, wow, they have Morrowind and Oblivion on sale right now for like five bucks a piece. I think I'll just buy those and be done with it. Uh, side note to that is that if you look at the original art box for uh, the Elder Scrolls Arena, you do see what they were going for with Dragon's Crown in terms of art design. There's the big burly males and then the women hardly wearing anything. So it is kind of a callback to that respect. Anywho, uh, so then I was like, okay, do I want to play Morrowind or do I want to try Skyrim again? And I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try Skyrim and I'm going to play the game like Steven. I'm going to go pure magic user at the start. Man, that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, man, because it's all like I was playing it a few minutes ago, and it's all like, hey, don't fight that bear. He's really strong. And I'm all like lightning bolt. I win. Yeah, the magic in the game does make the game really fun. And now the uh, I, I have my illusion skill tree very high. And so if I miss with a sneak attack, I just calm the character and then just sneak attack him. I'm just like, oh, OK, well, you don't see me anymore and you're not aggressive. And he's like, yeah, OK, I'm going to go back to sitting down. And then I slice his throat. And that's it's really not getting old. Oh, I think I want to try that out. Yeah, it's it. I think it's a great game. I think maybe, you know, I, I've been replaying it for maybe about 15 hours this week, and, and maybe I was too harsh on it when we talked about it before, but I might also run into the exact same problems here in a little bit. But I think Skyrim's an awesome game, but I do agree with Derek and Steven. The fact that there is no impetus, there is no driving force, means that if you don't go out and make your own fun in it, you'll stop. And so, like, right now I have the Dark Brotherhood open to me and the Companions, and I'm fighting for Skyrim's liberation, and I also have the main story quest. So I have a lot to do right now to keep me busy, but if I finish all that, then I'll probably be like, okay, I, I think I'm done right now. Yeah. I don't I know. Agree. Derek, maybe we should do this. I'll try Tales, and you try Skyrim. Oh, I agree. Great. This is awesome. Let's do that. What I tried Skyrim. Well, I tried Tales. I, like, watched a game trailer's review for okay, it. that's not trying. That's, that's watching a that, game trailer's review. That, that, that is close enough. 
Anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't think anything less of people who like Skyrim. I've tried it several times. I tried uh, Morrowind and didn't really like it. Didn't really play Oblivion. And then, I mean, I haven't played a ton of Skyrim. I've played maybe a total of like four hours, but it just doesn't appeal to me. No, I, I totally see why, too. I think the game is very slow to start, and if you want to keep the game at a decent difficulty level, you kind of have to roam around a little bit at the start, because you know, if, if you don't have the mental discipline to say, hey, I'm going to play this one particular style until I am very dangerous, you'll make your character, you'll break them very, very, very quickly. Because when I played the game the first time, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to try some one-handed fighting. Okay, now I'm going to try some magic, and now I'm going to try some sneaking, and now I suck at everything. And all the enemies are killing me in, like, three hits. Damn it. That is unfortunate. Yeah, but now I just light them on fire if they see me. There you go. That's the solution to all life's problems. No, it really is. It really is. So, yeah. Kill the fire. Probably going to play a lot of Skyrim. Damn it. Oh, uh, I, need some, I need something to keep me busy until Final Fantasy XIV comes out. Oh, ago. my, hey, that's yes. That's in a week. I'm really glad it's it comes out. It's not in a week. It comes out the 27th. It, uh, open beta starts in a week. Yeah, and the open beta lasts two days. Yeah, but it carries over to the full game. That's true. Okay, Derek, you ready to take over news? Sure. Capcom crushed hopes everywhere when they announced Breath of Fire 6 for browsers, tablets, yeah! and... Yeah! Oh. <laughs> it's like one of the worst things I've ever read on the internet. <laughs> like, Capcom literally... This is Capcom. Our mobile game sales are down. They're not pr- providing the return that we want them to. Announce a new mobile game. I gotta say, Capcom has really, like, if you had told me, because uh, Capcom was doing a great job with releases a couple years ago, and now, and Square Enix, as far as I was concerned, was basically throwing up all over themselves. <laughs> Boy, have they shifted. <laughs> like, with the exception of DuckTales, I have no interest in anything Capcom's doing right now. I want to come up with a counterexample, but I... I don't like Capcom enough to want to do that right now. Well, look at what they've done. Resident Evil 6. <laughs> Dragon <Resident> Revelations. <laughs> okay, Revelations. All right, all right. That's well. But done. that was like more like oh, a fluke. Right. And then uh, about 15,000 fighting games. Like, we're just going to keep iterating the same fighting game and release it for $50 again. Just, well, I ever, miss, ever, more than anything, I miss Mega Man so I, much. And no, Rockman crossover doesn't count. And then, That's uh, one word that auto plays, it's like the cell phone game. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, look at what else they've done. They've, they, they did, uh, Dragon's, uh, Dogma. Good God. Uh, well, there I am. I'm, I'm back to my rage moment. Uh, they, they it's okay, Rob. It was a terrible game. We all know it. I, I think, ca- well, and then you had, like, a bright spot in DMC, which, you know, I didn't like that game as much as Steven, but that was still a, a pretty good game. And apparently, because it didn't sell 18 bajillion copies, we're never going to see another one. Well, that's thanks to all the stupid fans. Thanks, fans. Yeah, thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, Breath of Fire 6. Thanks, Obama. Oh, God. I just... Really? A mobile game? Yeah, well, it's... I mean, it's a, it's like a social browser game. I can't even imagine what you would do in it that would make it remotely like a Breath of Fire game. And I want to say I'm optimistic about stuff, but there is no way that a browser point-and-click game is going to measure up to a console or PC downloadable RPG. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's not Breath of Fire. It's No, it's called Breath of Fire because some people will buy it. And it will have a guy named Ryu in it. It looks like MapleStory. 
probably what it's going to be because it's not going to cost them a lot of money. Here's the thing. It's going to cost them nothing to make it, and people are going to spend some money on it, and it's going to be, and they're going to be like, oh, good. We made the right choice. Like, if it comes out in English, will I try it? Of course. But I'm not, I'm not going to expect it to be anything close to a Breath of Fire game, and to do so would just be stupid. I, that's all. All right, let's move on. I hate Capcom right now. Um, Final Fantasy X and X2 are going to feature rearranged music, which is pretty cool. I don't know to what extent it's going to be rearranged, but uh, Masashi Hamauzu, who did the music for the Final Fantasy XIII series, which is one of the best parts of the XIII series, um, he's rearranging more than 60 songs from Final Fantasy X. Um, well, he already worked on X a little bit. Like, he did some of the songs originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what they're doing is the exact same thing they did with Kingdom Hearts, which is they're going to re-instrument, redo it with the new instrumentation. Yeah, which should should sound awesome. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like you said. It's not going to be remixed stuff, but just reinstrument. Awesomer, which is cool because I love Tencent. It's going to be mo better. Okay, EverQuest next was officially unveiled, and it's looks super cool. A thing. You just don't like EverQuest. It looks awesome. What what about it looked cool? No, I I appreciate. I, I, I watched I they're doing cool stuff with it. I watched like, the videos and I was like, eh. It's EverQuest Minecraft. It's them actually doing something that could legitimately be different on the scale of like Ultima Online when it first came out. Will it come out and maybe be wow? Possibly, but so far it looks pretty different. Yeah, I definitely appreciate what they're trying to do. I'm not a fan of the style, but that's just me. So. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing is it's a very generic fantasy world, but also there's a lot of it. Like EverQuest is huge and... They know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a while. You know, I, I, I am going to try it for sure. I really wish John was here for this podcast because I, I wanted to ask him because he was the, he was, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was the uh, only one who got to see Elder Scrolls online at E3, correct? Out of all of us. Uh, yeah. Sadly. And, like, videos have started coming out of Elder Scrolls online. And granted, I don't think it, it looks amazing. But it looks like an Elder Scrolls game to me. And I, I guess I don't understand what the hate is over it. Maybe I'm missing something. But, like, they See, seem to be going out of their way to say, hey, guys, this is an Elder Scrolls game. You can pick up the cheese wheels. And I think that is basically them showing on the surface that it looks like an Elder Scrolls game when it's actually going to play like WoW. And they can, you can tell me up and down that that's not the case. It's got an Elder Scrolls skin in WoW's body. And I don't think Elder Scrolls is compelling enough to warrant me wanting to play WoW-style combat. I like it in Final Fantasy XIV because the world is interesting and the music is awesome and the story is good. The music is never awesome in, a bl- in Elder Scrolls. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, Skyrim's music it's is good. awesome. It's good. All right, now hum me a song from Skyrim that isn't Dovahkiin. I mean, I could. Uh, it's complicated, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Like, it's also I, not. It's, it's atmospheric. And, you know, it's not. Uh, I take that back. It's not bad. It's just. Yeah, it's atmospheric. It's, everything is just. Fantasy, the generic fantasy, into generic fantasy, the MMO. I, like the, I, I, I think just, you're being a little harsh, but you know, I I, I can agree with you that it, it maybe has. I, I think the storytelling and and just because there's it, you've said it before, just because there's a lot of storytelling in the Elder Scrolls does not make it good storytelling, and I agree with that. But I think that there's something compelling about having a world open up to you and being able to go out and play it any way you want. And now, I don't know if they're going to be able to get that with the online game, but it, it certainly looks like they're trying at the very least. 
I don't um, know. People, I'll reserve people... judgment. I, I honestly, I probably won't even try Elder Scrolls Online. That just because I'm not interested, and 14 will have been out for a long time by then. That's true. So and that's fine. Like if that's if if that's more your style than 14, fine. But uh, EverQuest Next, I think, is is a lot more impressive in that it's really doing something different. Yeah, like, like and, and, and I don't again, think you, I don't think different. I don't think you can't like both. Like, just like with 14, I said there's no way I'll like this game, and now I can't wait for it. So maybe Elder Scrolls, I'll play the, I will play the beta when it comes out, and I'll, if it's like Elder Scrolls, you know what it'll do? It'll be like every other MMO I've ever played that isn't Lotro and hopefully Final Fantasy 14. Hey, this is awesome. Ten hours later, I'm done. I just want to ask John why he wasn't so in on it. I mean, if he didn't like it, I mean, I, I totally get that, it's but I rift. just, well, that could be it. Anyway, John, so John, John's all like Final Fantasy fourteen. It's not Rift. Well, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally just ribbing on John here, but he's not here to defend himself. Go right ahead. Right. EverQuest Next is a thing, and it'll probably be cool. Um, next up, Etrian Odyssey Untold: The Millennium Girl is getting a pretty cool launch edition. It's a lot like the Etrian Odyssey four launch edition, where it's got a little promo CD and a small art book. It actually looks quite similar in terms of packaging at least the promo stuff does so if you're interested in getting that game i would say pick it up at launch i they actually also released the opening movie for it and i wasn't interested at all because as i think i said on the previous podcast i'm kind of burnt out on entry Odyssey, just because four came out only a few months ago but after watching the opening and seeing the promise of some more narrative in there i think that's it's got me yeah it could be really cool yeah it's got me into it that's cool. Atlas continues to spoil, as they always do. Oh, we just found out that Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney is actually coming out in the West for sure in 2014. They said early 2014, but did not give a specific date. And at the same time, they also announced the uh, final Professor Layton game, or at least the final Layton game in the second trilogy. It's Professor Layton and the Azrin Legacy. Or is it Legacies? I'm not sure. Plural. So more Layton. And more Phoenix Wright. And Phoenix Wright 5 is still coming out later this year. Woo-hoo! They also announced that most of the DLC would be coming out in North America and Europe, except for the... There's like a quiz show that supposedly is really rooted in Japanese pop culture, so they weren't able to bring that over. So we don't really know what we're missing on that one. Guess we'll find out. Well, we won't find out. Guess we'll never find out. Two more... Th- uh, new stories for us today. Atelier Verona is being remade for PS3 and Vita. I have no idea why. Well, I can tell you why, because Atelier Verona sucks. But the it's kind of weird that they're remaking it on the same system. Maybe they just really like the idea. Well, they're upping it with new character models. and uh, They're wait, using wait. Atelier Meruru's battle system as a base, which is really different from Verona, because Verona used a really simplistic battle system that only had HP, and, like, every attack used HP to execute, except for your standard attack. So, it definitely has the potential to be a lot better, but it's weird that they would do that. that I'm editorializing a lot right here, because this well, isn't a story, so... This is, this is a podcast. It's all about editorial. Hence, hence my my rampant just bashing of, of Elder Scrolls, even though I don't hate it. Yeah. yeah. And my Good. final piece of news today is relevant to what we were just talking about. Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, is just <laughs> about to come out. The open beta starts on August 16th for Legacy players, or August 17th for people who were just accepted into it. It only runs for the weekend until August 19th, and then 
early access starts August 24th, and the game comes out a few days later for sh- for real these on the 27th. So basically, it's the 9th right now. This podcast will probably be out in a couple days, and by then it will be the week of Final Fantasy 14, and that's exciting. Uh, in addition to that, the there was a producer from the Live Letter recently. It was what yesterday, and they announced a couple of tidbits. They're going to have a veterans campaign, as they call it. Basically, just subscriber bonuses. If you stay subscribed for consecutive lengths of time, you get extra stuff. I'm actually not 100% sure if it's just cumulative or if it has to be consecutive. But, like, if you subscribe for 30 days, you get a potion that lets you change your character's appearance once. If you subscribe for 90 days, you get a little Araman minion and an Araman mount, those big flying eyeballs with the wings. Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, so so that's kind of cool. I mean, it's just free stuff for subscribing, so why not? Yeah, EverQuest 2 actually did that to an extent, and it was cool to, like, log in after a while and be like, look at all of this new stuff I have. Did I read correctly that the subscription fee is, like, you you get a little bit of a discount if you sign up for, like, 18 months for Final Fantasy XIV? It's like you get $12.99 a month? I can't. I can't commit for eighteen months. You know what I mean? Like I. Well, it's not. I don't think it's eighteen months. I think it's. I think it's. You get a discount if you do like three months. Okay. I don't know. But I'll probably know. just do what I always do and subscribe monthly because it's, it's like an extra yeah. two dollars. I think that's really, what I'm gonna it's do. It's twelve ninety nine a month. Yeah, that's so not bad. That's not bad. It's really not. And if you can't afford to pay twelve ninety nine a month for this, then you should probably just not go to Taco Bell once, and then you'll be fine. That's I, true. This is. I have a really strong opinion about free to play versus pay to play, and. A lot of people use the argument of, well, I can't afford to pay a monthly subscription. And it's like, you probably can. If you're a person that games regularly. On PC. It's just like, it's an excuse thing. It's like, okay, so you can spend a couple hundred bucks on a Steam sale, but $12.99 for a month is... See, you know know what it is? The fact of the matter is, games that go free-to-play and that are free-to-play are designed differently. Final Fantasy XIV feels different than everything that's free-to-play... Because it doesn't feel like the whole game has been designed to be compartmentalized into you paid more money for an extra bag slot, you paid more money to level this up faster. Like it. Yeah. So I I don't. I agree. I can't I can't make a blanket statement and say that everybody who can't afford it is like full of it, but you know a lot of them I think are. See, for me, it's not a question of the affording it. I mean, I I can easily afford it. That's not the problem. And I I definitely agree with Steven's point about the free-to-play game versus uh, subscription game. My my two concerns with with Final Fantasy XIV are the same I have for any game that asks for a subscription. One, I don't like being tied to a game. I don't like like, I know how I get about money, and I'm going to be like, man, that means i got to get my money's worth out of Final Fantasy XIV, and I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, don't, I don't like that that much. And then the – so that's a little thing. And then the other thing is what happens if the subscription model doesn't succeed for this game? Do they then compartmentalize it and make it into a free-to-play game, and then we're all going to be really pissed off about it? Well, so. they still haven't done it with Final Fantasy XI. That's very true. That's exactly what so I was So I think they're stubborn enough to do that. And look at it this way. You pay what'd you pay for Guild Wars 2? 60 bucks? Or you, you got it well, you got it for review, right? Yeah, but I would have paid 60 bucks for it. Yeah, you would have paid 60 bucks. You're paying 30 for Final Fantasy 14. You're getting a free month. So yeah. even if you played for two months and paid for the first, it's still less than Guild Wars 2 would have costed you. That's and very true. How long did you play Guild Wars 2? About, about two months. months. Yeah, that's very that's very true. Uh, I would buy it in a heartbeat right now if they would put you know more of those special editions out there, and I think that I think that yeah, that uh, the subscription fee is sort of, I mean it it gives the company 
the ability to continue creating right. high quality content at a good pace. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it purely from my individual mindset. I think it makes sense though, especially if you are going to give it more content. Like if you're going to keep going in and making the game better and adding stuff to it, which I think they will, then I can't. I don't fault it for that. I fault it because my because of my caveman mind and my like Be no caveman. Yes, uh, you missed a news story, Derek. Wait, there, well, there's one more thing I wanted to say about the uh, FF14. Oh, okay. sorry, is that sorry. They're going to be releasing a smartphone app about a week after the game launches called Libra Eorzea. Or Libra A. I keep saying Eorzea. I think they pronounce it Eorzea in Spanish. Yeah, I think it's Eorzea. Libra Eorzea. It's a smartphone app that's just kind of like a WoW armory. shows your character information and some other little goodies, and it will be free. Cool. Cool. So what's the news story I miss? Uh, well, Game Informer seems to have uh, struck a huge gold mine with more information on Dragon Age Inquisition. And it kind of kind of seems like uh, Bioware has been listening. Because if you remember, when they first announced Inquisition, one of the things they said was, yeah, you're only going to have a human playable character. Yeah, they went back on that. Let's, huh. let's, let's temper that, because I, I think it's cool, too. With Mass Effect 3, they said a lot of things before that game came out that That's were flat-out not true. That's very true. You, uh, I mean, so, you, you got choices and, in your endings, right? Well, they said, you're going to have this many permutations. <laughs> no! No, that's true. So, that's, uh, I, 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 I think that... And they realize, EA knows this, they can tell everybody everything they want to hear right now. People will buy it, and they'll be like, well, what we said was true from a certain point of view. <laughs> Thank they, you, Ben Kenobi. <laughs> they graduated from the Jedi school of doublespeak. So that's I'm, true. I am very, very cautious. I had no investment in Dragon Age 2. I hated the first one mostly. I can't, I'm so surprised. When I played the second, I was like, hey, this is pretty good. It's not that great, but I'm okay with it. So if the th- the, I like that the third one appears to be very different. So. I have an open mind for it. I, I'm really surprised you hated the first one. I really loved the first one. I mean, I fell in love with it. It took quite a few hours, but I, I fell in love with it. I think it was the story and just... I, I really didn't get into the... I, sometimes I like generic fantasy. Sometimes I don't. Well, that I think time that, it didn't work. I think Except that, the Fade. The Fade was awesome. I think that game's problem is... Uh, a very much similar problem to Elder Scrolls in a lot of ways. On the surface, it's very, very generic fantasy. The intricacies are what make it cool. Like the fact that basically... Very true. Basically, the dwarves are just, like, warring families in, like, a Sicilian town. Like, that's really freaking cool stuff. But when you first see them, they're dwarves, and they live in a cave. And you're like, oh, they're dwarves, and they live in a cave. Haven't seen that for about, you know, 150 years worth of fantasy. But then you swig of some strong dwarven ale. But then, but then like you that. start to see the really cool stuff in Dragon Age that set it apart. Like the fact that the elves are just like horribly subjugated and living in like slum, like apartheid style slums. Like that's, that's craziness. Like that's really awesome stuff. But when you first see them, they're elves. I actually hope they add the Kunari as a playable race. I think that because the Kunari are completely different. Like they are out of all the generic fantasy that's going on in Dragon Age, the Kunari are just like crazy out of left field. Like they're nuts. Like what the hell are these things? And, and that's the thing is I think people forget that in the wake of all this, like we hate Bioware, and even in, I'm pretty jaded on Bioware, there are still creative people there that are very good. Not not everyone's still there, but. It's not like suddenly they are devoid of all talent. And there was some cool stuff in Dragon Age 2. Oh, yeah. And I think if they can... First of all, the biggest mistake they're fixing is that Dragon Age 2 was super-duper rushed. 
And you could tell just from like, you know, various parts of the game being repetitive and all that. So I think I think that they are going to take things like the Kunari. They're going to I think they really are going to say, what are the strengths of our series that we want to keep? What do people like? What do we not like that we can redesign? I just really hope it doesn't come all the way down to mages versus Templars again, because I am so sick of that story. I was sick of it at the end of Dragon Age Origins. And then well, the fact that the entire second game flowed out of that in the third act. Well, keep they already kind of said the Inquisition is this new thing, and you're kind of like against the chaos in the world. So it sounds a lot like the first game. Yeah, I, I just, it, it's uh, not to bash on the new Star Trek again, but one thing that I can't stand with franchises is when we regurgitate the same stuff. And so, you know, some people said that one of the biggest problems with the newest Star Trek is, hey, guess what? Kirk is still dealing with his daddy issues. Spock is still dealing with the fact that he's half human. Uh, everybody's dealing with the exact same problems. And I'm like, I want to see progress. You know what I mean? Like, the, the fact that Dragon Age 2 was just like, hey, the uh, main story focus we've already kind of dealt with before. Yeah, I can see that. That that really bothers me. So, uh, I, I agree with you, Steven. I think Bioware, their past three games have been... I, I don't want to say... Uh, yes, uh, I think that's a good, very diplomatic way of putting it. You have Mass Effect 3 with its ending. Uh, and other things, too. The yeah. DLC and all the double speak and... Dragon Age 2 with its very rutch nature and some of the uh, the repeating dungeon designs and waves of enemies. And then Star Wars Online didn't really turn out to be the big hit. So I really hope that this is Bioware sitting down and going, alright, we used to be the kings and we didn't make bad games. Like these past three games haven't been bad, but they've been missing something. So let's see what we can do. Yeah, I think so. I, I think part of that was, and I know this is the internet conspiracy, but they got bought by EA. EA said, make these games more palatable. They have to sell more copies. How can you do that? Add multiplayer, streamline it, give me options to be bro. Well, let, let's see what they do, but I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I really, really like Dragon Age Origins. I know Steven doesn't like it, apparently, but I love it. And Dragon Age 2 had a ton of problems, but it also had some really good points to it. I thought it made the combat feel a hell of a lot better, even though it lacked a lot of uh, strategy. It definitely felt much more weighty, and the characters were way more responsive than Origins. So, you know, let's see what they do. I'm yeah, I'm open-minded. I, I, yeah, I am excited. And then a year from now, we'll all just be going on about how terrible it is. Well, if it's out. Well, yeah. It may very well be. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, uh, is that it, Derek? That is it today. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Random Encounter. As always, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or the RSS feed. Uh, I have some listener emails, and I've kind of been collecting them. I, I have not been looking away from them, so I would like to maybe tap into that on the next show for a little bit. Uh, we hit 53 reviews on iTunes. Ooh. Yay! Now let's go for Yay. 60. 999 million. Always pushing the limit. Oh, when we get over 9,000... Hoo boy. Oh, I can't wait for that day. Oh, I love my I love me some Dragon Ball Z. So as always, thank you everybody for listening to the show and look forward to the next one. Please look forward to it. Yes. 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 Yes.